Hello and welcome to Laceology, the first episode of the podcast, the new study of football. I am your host, Alex, and today we're going to be talking about the first week of the NFL, which, to say the least, was full of disappointments, upsets, confusion, pretty much everything you would expect out of any NFL week, except I think this one by far exceeded expectations of just odd outcomes compared to, I guess, what we would expect if we watched the, you know, the teams play from last year. We're just going to go over the games. We're going to do picks for this week. And this is my first ever time doing something like this. It's very new to me. It took me a long time to get audio set up, a pain in the ass, if I, uh, if I might add. But, you know, I powered through it. I have all these notes ready. We're just going to go over them pretty quick. We're going to make the picks. If you're expecting a football show, a football podcast that's serious, you've come to the wrong place. I'm, I, I, I'm sorry to disappoint you. This is not your father's football podcast. This is something very much different. And I'm hoping to have a lot of fun with this. I'm hoping to do at least an episode every week, you know do the week in review, get some news in, make picks for this week, maybe eventually add in um, the college football world into this podcast. But for now, we're going over the week one, um, week one, I should say, of the NFL 2022 season. And we're just going to go from Thursday night to Monday night, pretty easy, straight through. I have notes on player performances, Uh, news from the games and then after we get through all the week one games and we talk about those for a little bit then we're going to get into this week's matchups which there's a lot of good ones and live as it's happening I'm going to make my picks for this week last week I didn't do too hot I went seven eight and one in my in my ESPN pick them last week so which wasn't too bad compared to a lot of uh, a lot of people in the group that I'm in but it wasn't the best I think first place was like 12 and 3 and I made some dumb picks looking back on it but I think there was just some that you know the games were won by teams that you kind of pick on a whim you know um looking at you the Giants um and apologies ahead of time if the uh microphone is picking up audio in the back there's literally a school playground next door and there's pretty much kids at it 24-7. Um, so if there's if it sounds like there is a lot of noise in the background, it's either that playground or the school that's next to it. So apologies ahead of time for that. But anyways, let's get into week one. How how would I describe how would I describe week one of the season? I would say Although there was a lot to be expected that did happen, I would say there was also a lot that I would have never guessed to see happen. I also think there's a lot of things that happened in week one that I think we should have seen coming and just failed, like failed to recognize. And I think we'll go over those things pretty soon here. But let's start with the Thursday night game. We had Josh Allen's Bills playing defending champions 
in the L.A. Rams with Matthew Stafford at the helm. Josh Allen, who is my fantasy quarterback, by the way, did not let me down. 26 for 31, basically 300 yards. Three touchdowns, two interceptions, which one really wasn't his fault. It was kind of, it was ripped out of Isaiah McKenzie's hands. Um, He also had 10 carries over 50 yards and was actually the leading rusher for the Bills, which is was interesting um considering you have a backfield with Devin Singletary Zach Moss you would think that wouldn't be the case but it was and I mean the Rams front seven is pretty good on paper they're really good on every sort of aspect of the ball so I'm not super surprised there um Stefan Diggs was the leading receiver eight receptions 122 yards and a touchdown uh obviously to be expected um, and Isaiah McKenzie really fitting, I would say, super well into the slot receiver role. Cole Beasley, I don't know, Cole Beasley just, I don't, I don't know, It's he's a great football player, but it always doesn't make sense to, sense to me that he's a football player, if that makes sense. Like, when I see Cole Beasley, I think of, like, any sort of generic beer commercial, which I guess is correct for the NFL, but I don't know. I feel like Cole Beasley's always just outshined. And I feel like he's I feel like Cole Beasley was one of, is like one of those receivers that's so close to being so good. And yet there always seems to be someone that comes in the building and takes over his spot. As you know, I feel really bad about it. But I don't even actually know what team... Is he still on a team anymore? I don't even know. Um, But, I mean, that's besides the point. Isaiah McKenzie is a 100% upgrade from Cole Beasley. And I think it showed in this game because he's not only... I think his route running is better, and I think he's he's definitely faster. Um, In terms of not turning over the ball... I, say he's probably still has a lot to work on with that but nonetheless Isaiah McKenzie is a clear upgrade for the Bills offense not really that they it's not like they really needed one but he is which makes the Bills even more dangerous than they even were you know last year um on the Ram side of the ball Stafford was Threw 41 times, completed 29, 240 yards, one touchdown, three interceptions. It was not a good night for Matthew Stafford. I know a lot of people said he looked like he was in his, his, you know, old Lions form, which I don't, you know, it's, you know, it's week one. It's an, you know, the season is extended now. We have 17 games now instead of 16. And I don't think that's, I don't think it's going to be an issue for him throughout the season. I guess we'll see. But there are some problems with the Rams' offense that don't just include Matthew Stafford. Um, Cooper Cup was pretty much the lone star for the offense. 13 receptions, 128 yards, and a touchdown. I mean, that's to be expected, right? Cooper Cup is basically the... But, I mean, at the same time, though, they did sign Allen Robinson to sort of be that, you know, standout wide receiver across from 
you know, across from um, Cooper Cup. I almost lost my train of thought there. And, I mean, Allen Robinson didn't even, like, I don't even, I can't remember what his stats were, but he was, like, barely there. And it's it's fair to assume that it's a new system, so it's going to take him a while, and it probably will take him a while. But, um, hey, I drafted Allen Robinson, and he's just sitting on my bench for my fantasy team. So, like, what else is new there? Anyways. All right, let's look at some game notes here. The Rams running back room combined for 52 yards altogether. That's including Stafford. I don't remember how much. I think Stafford had like four rushing yards or something like that. But um, yeah, 52 yards combined. So we definitely saw that the Rams offense lacks a running game. Um, I know a lot of friends and even family that were very upset about the Cam Akers situation. Um, th- you know, they have him on fantasy and he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't even out there. Um, so that's definitely one thing that Sean McVay, Sean McVay is going to have to work on. And b- I mean, besides the lack of rushing, there was a complete lack of protection for Stafford. There was nothing. The, the Rams allowed, what, seven sacks, and six were in the first three quarters, including two from Von Miller, their former, you know, you know, with the team last year. It's the most sacks allowed by the Rams under Sean McVay in his, what, five, I think, five-year tenure so far. And it's also Sean McVay's first time being under 500, so, which is so nuts to think about. It just kind of shows you how good of a coach he is. Um, they also had, let's see, Rams also had four punts in the game. Buffalo had no punts at all, besides the couple turnovers by the Bills offense. There was, if they didn't commit a turnover, they were in the touchdown. You know, they were, or 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 scoring a field goal. I think they scored one field goal for three points. Obviously. Um. I guess still on... Oh, in terms of the protection, it makes sense. The Rams O-line had two new starters in it from last year. And obviously that's going to... You know, O-line... As much as people talk about how the quarterback position is the most important position in the sport, I would say the one position or the one group of players that really gives a run for their money for the quarterbacks is that old line because without a good old line you can't quarterback doesn't have time to have routes developed to throw to receivers there's you can't even really have a running game i mean i like to use ezekiel elliott as like the main example he had probably the best offensive line blocking for him for his like first two or three years and he was unstoppable. He was leading rusher. Um, he was, I believe, he won rookie of the year too. And there, like, teams were not able to stop him. He was just—he didn't even have to do much. He just had to run straight. And he had like a car lane, like a whole bus lane, pretty much to run through. But then you see adversity on the all line, 
and you know players getting you know you know traded signed by other you know signed for agency retiring and now Ezekiel Elliott's pretty much on a season now this year something we'll talk about when we get to the Cowboys game where I mean, there's expectation that he's going to be underperforming again, and he's probably going to get traded at the end of the season because he's, you know, he's the highest cap hit running back this year, and if he's not performing, then why would you keep him? You know, just you know, it makes sense. NFL is still a business at the end of the day, but I think we're, you know, you see the same thing with the Rams. Two new starters on the O-line, a lack of experience, obviously no running game to speak of, 52 yards, and Matthew Stafford was looking up at the ceiling pretty much the whole night, Um, and then, you know, defensively, there wasn't much they could do because they were constantly on the field. Jalen Ramsey, I don't know what happened to Jalen Ramsey. I mean, Aaron Donald looked great, Um, as much as I have some hot takes about Aaron Donald. He looked great. He usually does. Um, I would say there's like maybe two games a year where he doesn't show up. Besides that, he's always always in the conversation. But Jalen Ramsey, I mean, he allowed a perfect passer rating under his coverage. But I, I don't even know if he's ever done that. But either he's still experiencing the Super Bowl hangover or the Bills were so good at plotting for him that he just was lost like he couldn't do anything um I mean Buffalo's offense was uh on the field a lot in this game and I mean they won they won by three touchdowns so I mean that you know that just shows you I mean I wasn't expecting the Rams to win this game I actually had Buffalo winning this game in my picks I wasn't expecting it by three scores. I think the Rams have a lot to clean up, and I think they have to get over that Super Bowl hangover hump because, I mean, I've already seen people drawing conclusions that they look like the, what was it, 2013-2014 Ravens, whatever year it was after they won the Super Bowl. I think it was 2013. You know, so that's not great. Hopefully they can get the running game going. Um also, their their draft one of their draft draft picks from this year can't speak at all. Two uh, two Atwell wasn't he? I don't even think he played. So I don't know. A lot of question marks. A lot on Sean McVay's shoulders. We're gonna see what he's able to do from here on out. Um, and you know, I think Buffalo's gonna gonna keep rolling with that with that team they have a great team even somehow better than last year and you know Josh Allen's you know my fantasy quarterback so I can only I can't I can't do anything but cheer for him you know anyways so next game okay we got the Saints and the Falcons now if you know anything about the NFL you don't even have to know anything about the NFL if you know if you heard of the NFL, then you know about Super Bowl 51, and if there's a Falcons fan listening to this, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry, but 
let's face the facts. The Falcons just love to choke. And that's okay. We don't like to kink shame here. Not about that. But we have to call it as it is. The Falcons love to choke. I mean, they had... Let's see here. Wrote it somewhere here. Oh, yeah. Saints had a 16-point comeback in the fourth quarter. 16 points. That's a two-score game if you score two touchdowns and convert the two-point conversion on both on both touchdowns. Um, it's just, you know, classic Falcons style. And you would think that, you know, with the Matt Ryan era behind them, and, I mean, the, the whole Falcons team from, you know, top to bottom, except for, I guess, the president, is pretty much all new with Arthur Smith and Marcus Mariota. And I really like Mariota as a quarterback. I think he's extremely overlooked. I think, I think if, I think if you go back in time, and Mariota's not picked at the top, like as the first overall pick. I think if you go back and make Mariota like a late first round pick, I think people would view him so much differently. Because in the NFL, there's such a high expectation for quarterbacks that are picked super high up, especially for first overall picks. I mean, rightfully so. Because they're first overall picks. But like I think I think the standards are set way too high. Especially in Tennessee where they drafted Mariota and then they I don't know, he didn't really have a ton of help around him. And they still let him go, which is really sad. But like I don't know, I'm a big fan of Mariota. That might just be some kind of bias. Who knows? Anyways. The Saints won by one point, 27 to 26. Jameis Winston had a pretty good day, actually. 23 for 34, 269, two touchdowns. Pretty good. Oh, I actually didn't even realize this. This is this is the battle of first and second overall picks from, from 2015. That's pretty crazy. Um, Let's see. Taysom Hill had four carries, 81 yards, and a touchdown. And Taysom... Taysom Hill's listed as a tight end, which I had no idea until I was um, looking at the free agency for my fantasy football league. Had no idea he was a tight end, like listed as a tight end. It was interesting, but he had a pretty good day. Uh, Jarvis Landry, seven receptions, 114 yards, including uh, that big catch at the pretty much for 20 seconds left to help set up the Saints for the game-winning field goal. Uh, Michael Thomas is finally back. He didn't really do a whole lot, though. Five receptions, 57 yards, two touchdowns. I mean, yeah, two touchdowns is really good. But he didn't really have a whole lot of yards, though. It was a lot of, um, it was a lot of short stuff, which is another, is pretty much my only criticism of Michael Thomas. I think he's a good receiver, but his... You know, most of his numbers just, you know, he has, his numbers come off of, like, targets, you know. He has a lot of targets, in the, especially when when Drew Brees was there. Drew Brees targeted Michael Thomas a lot, and it wasn't for a lot of yards. 
because I remember he had that really good year. I think he was like an all pro. It wasn't that long ago. I want to say 2019, 2018, 2019. And he was like first, I think he was first in the league in receptions and targets or something, but he was like 30 something in yards. You know, that's my only criticism about Michael Thomas is pretty rarely do you see him make huge chunk plays. It's a lot of check down, not check, I wouldn't say check down, but it's a lot of, it's a lot of short routes and he's usually, you know, he's not super evasive. He's pretty evasive, but I think that's my only, it's not really that controversial. I think a lot of people share that same opinion, except for maybe Saints fans, but he's definitely no like. He's definitely no Tyreek Hill, or he's definitely no, he's not like Jamar Chase, because those guys can get a lot of receptions and a lot of yards, and I don't think Michael Thomas is the same. I think Michael Thomas is super reliable. You throw it in his direction, he'll catch it, but you're not you're not going to be looking at 25, 30-yard plays. It's going to be like 8 to 10 yards, which is fine. But I think a lot of people overestimate his big play ability. Um, Mary, let's see, oh, hold on, let's see, Marcus, okay, Marcus Mariota had, he went 20 for 33, 215, 72 yards rushing, so no touchdown passes, but, I mean, he had it for becoming a starter once again, and being in a whole new system, because he was with the Raiders last year as a backup, I think the last two years as a backup, the couple games he had, though, when he started for the Raiders, were very good. But this is a whole new system, you know. You know, coach every like everything, everything is new for him. So, you know, you got to give him the pass. Uh, Cordell Patterson though had twenty two twenty two carries, one hundred and twenty yards, and a touchdown. I never thought I'd see the day where Cordero Patterson was a full time running back. But it seems to fit, you know, it doesn't look supernatural. It, it's kind of weird to me because I remember him as like, like the Bears kick returner. Like he was like the Devin Hester for the Bears. He's like just doing returns basically. And like, you know, some receiver work or I think he played from, you know, when he played for Minnesota, he was mostly the special teams guy. So to see him as a, to go from like special teams slash like, bench receiver almost or like wide receiver three to like a rb1 it's kind of nuts but i mean it's working so there's only so much i can criticize about it which well i mean i can't and rookie drake london out of usc had five receptions 74 yards he to say the least he was the highest picked receiver out of this year's draft and i think he'll earn it i think him with Kyle Pitts is going to be a pretty underrated combo, I think, going forward this year. But I think we'll see. I mean, he's still a rookie. And um, Pitts is a second-year player, you know. I mean, Pitts is just naturally talented anyways. So let's look look at the game notes. This game had eight hundred, a little over 800 total yards, which is... A lot, to put it in layman's terms. That's a lot. Um, most games see five, six, you know, four to six hundred area. Eden.
Sorry, the door's opening. Dog's trying to get in. Anyways. Looking at the box score, the game itself, in terms of general statistics, was pretty much dead even. Every every aspect of the game was pretty much dead even between the teams. Time of possession. Um, even the rushing yards were pretty close. Conversions turn it like it the if you look at the box score if you just read the box score it looks you would know why the game was a one-point game the teams were basically doing everything the same not from a play or scheme perspective just from a general perspective but i thought that was pretty interesting and of course the falcons in old style falcons way give up a big lead, and they lose to a 51-yard a field goal by Will Lutz with 19 seconds remaining. And the Saints, with their first year after the Sean Payton era, starting 1-0. Um, I guess a couple other notes here I have. You know, Atlanta. Atlanta's defense had four sacks on Jameis Winston, which is the most sacks the team has had in one game in almost two years. So that's good. And I almost, you know, I, I watched the, I watched like the condensed version of the game, basically. And I forgot about um, Grady Jarrett. I forgot about him. And like, I remember, I think they played Dallas, I want to say two or three years ago, where he got like three or four sacks in the game. I totally forgot about him, and and then at the same time I also remembered about Vic. Be- you know, I'm, I remembered Vic Beasley Jr. and I just had this whole like rush of nostalgia, basically, but not really because it was like three years ago. So, anyways, so that's about the, it for the Saints and the Falcons. Pretty evenly matched game. Falcons blow a lead. We're we're so surprised. We're holding. You know. We're doing our shocked face. We look like the screen painting. We're so surprised. Oh my god, Atlanta lost a game they pretty much had in the bag. And then you know, you know, you know the rest. Anyways, Niners at the Bears. Now, first two games, I I predicted right. This game I thought was going to be all 49ers. You know there. There's a lot about the Bears' offense being, you know, subpar. There's drama with, um, you know, there's drama with the trade on, I can't remember his name right now because I'm just drawing blanks. Um, maybe I'll think of it soon. I don't really have a whole lot on this game. In terms of game notes, Trey Lance had a, Okay, he didn't have a great game, let's be honest. Less than 50% completion, 164 yards, a touchdown. He had 13 carries for 54 yards. Wasn't really Trey Lance's fault. There wasn't really great protection. And it was it was a literal monsoon. It was a flood. It was. I was surprised that no one was building an arc because there was so much water on the field. It was, it was 
it was pretty close to even what the monsoon bowl was. Um, if you remember the Pittsburgh Miami game from like I want to say two thousand seven, it was it was pretty bad, and I think that affected a little bit. Well, maybe not a little bit, maybe a lot of what Trans- Trey Lance was trying to do because, you know, the the playing style of Trey Lance doesn't really strike me so much as a bad weather kind of quarterback. And, you know, he'll probably prove me wrong. I mean, it is his first year starting. But I don't think his playing style really caters to heavy rain. Uh, and it didn't help either that he was consistently under pressure didn't really have a whole lot to throw to and it just I don't know it wasn't it wasn't a super great day for Trey Lance and it wasn't completely his fault no matter how many people try to pin it on him and say that Jimmy Garoppolo is going to come back for his job soon I don't I don't think I don't think Trey Lance had much fault in that game Justin Fields was 8 for 17 121 yards two touchdowns yeah I mean Fields barely had to throw the ball. Defense and running was pretty much doing the most work for him. So he didn't really have... It was a pretty low... I wouldn't say low effort game, but he didn't really have to do a whole lot. And, I mean, you really shouldn't have to throw it too much. If it's if it's raining that bad, you're lucky if you're getting a good, you know, good throws in and, you know, not making mistakes because it's really easy to in bad weather like that. And I guess the only significant note I have from this game is that the 49ers basically shot themselves in the foot. 12 penalties, 99 yards. It was not a super great day for the 49ers. And I think it's I think it's wrong for the not only the media, but just for people in general to all put it on Trey Lance. I know he's a quarterback, but like the man doesn't play it every position you know it just it just wasn't a great game for them all around and the bears you know they took their opportunities and they took advantage of it so good for the bears did not have them winning but good for them anyways Steelers at Bengals now this was this was a this was one of those I would say this is the first no actually I would, I would say that this is probably the second. This is the second game after the Bears game that took me by surprise. Let's go through the quarterbacks first. Mitch Trubisky, twenty-one for thirty-eight, just under two hundred yards and a touchdown. Not too bad. Burrow had thirty-three completions from fifty-three attempts. Fifty-three attempts. If you're a casual fan, or if you're not a hardcore fan, and you don't really like understand. You know, if you don't really know the numbers of that, that's a lot. That is a lot of throwing. 53 is a lot of throwing. I don't... I didn't really understand it. I know Joe Mixon was... I think he had, like, a some kind of nagging injury, but, like, come on. 53 throws. And... 338 yards, obviously, because he threw it so much. Two touchdowns, four picks, six carries for himself for 47 yards. So, besides the interceptions, his stats are pretty inflated. But, you know, no matter how good your quarterback is, you probably don't want him throwing 53 times in a game. It's kind of like baseball. 
no matter how good your pitchers are, you don't want them throwing a whole lot in a game if you can help it. So, it was a, it was a big surprise. I, I mean, T. Higgins was injured. Um, you know, Jamar Chase was as good as he always is. It was a really exciting. It was a really exciting game to watch. I think it was. I think it was a lot better than most people expected, but it was a it was a nail biter. I'm not particularly a fan of either of these teams, but I was having a lot of fun watching this game. And all the missed field goals at the end of the game, including like in overtime, it reminded me a lot of the uh, Packers Bengals game from last year. And I, I think I've just associated the Bengals Stadium, whatever the new name is, with missing field goals. Like I think there's just a curse upon that place where kickers just don't they can't they can't get it through the uprights at if you play in Cincinnati. And I think that's becoming evident. I think there's a curse on the place. So let's see. We got a couple, obviously a couple injuries. T Higgins is injured. Um, I haven't, I haven't looked on his planks or his practice status from this week, but he left the game. Um, and the big, big one, TJ Watt left in the fourth quarter with a pec injury, injured his titty. And he left the game. Apparently, J.J. Watt suffered the same. His brother suffered the same injury a couple years ago, and I think he was out for about eight weeks. So, not good. Not not good news at all for the Steelers. Steelers fans, if you don't you don't really want to have T.J. Watt out for the next eight games, and. With the whole quarterback controversy, and I think the de- I mean the defense is pretty solid, even without T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt kind of puts them over that hump. It was like a really good defense, but I mean they have they have Howard, they have Minka Fitzpatrick, they have um, Bush, who's pretty. I think he's pretty good, and. I'm sh- they're still gonna miss him though. He's he's a game changer, easily. But hopefully, hopefully it's not too serious. Because as a Wisconsinite, I'm a big fan of T.J. Watt, and I would rather not see him hurt. And I'd also rather just not see him go through the same kind of injury history that his older brother did. All right, let's see here, Cincinnati. Oh, I put Cincinnati, and I circled it. Cincinnati with a new O-line combination with poor chemistry. So their O-line is completely shuffled from what it was even last year in the playoffs. Obviously, that's going to have implications, as I talked about with the Rams. But, I mean, it showed Joe Burrow was under... I mean, at the end of the day, Cincinnati's O-line is better. Okay, it is better, but chemistry in any team sport is a real thing, especially with an O-line. An O-line without chemistry, no matter how good the players are individually, are not good. it's not going to be that good. So hopefully that's something they can fix. 
because I think Joe Burrow was really expecting to be able to stand up a lot more, or at least not have to run so much as he did last year. So hopefully that will change because I'm a fan of Joe Burrow, and you know I don't want to, I don't want to see him get hurt either. You know, I. It's always good when the. You don't ever. I mean, you don't ever want to see anyone injured. It's just kind of the nature of any sport, really. Injuries happen, but you don't ever want to see starting quarterbacks or any big star players go down. So. If the Cincinnati O-line can help it, hopefully they improve from this week. I mean, they can pretty much only go up from here. Um, like I said before, missing field goals. Missed winning extra point and a missed 29-yard attempt. And then uh, Boswell. Oh, I wrote down two things here. Boswell had a 55-yard attempt that doinked. And then 53-yard game winner. So Boswell wins the game. He's the hero of the game. He takes down the AFC champs. Both teams now that played in the Super Bowl last year are starting out 0-1. And the Steelers can plan for next week. That's pretty much all I had for that game. And I had the Bengals winning that game. Of course, they didn't. Uh, let's see here. Next game, Eagles at the Lions. This game was so similar to the Lions' week one game last year against San Francisco. The Eagles got out to a huge lead. And God bless Dan Campbell. That man is, I think, anybody looking to find, anybody looking to rebuild their football team or even looking to rebuild the culture in the building should look for Dan Campbell. That man knows how to take a average to subpar team and rile them up to the point where they think they are the next Super Bowl champs. And that showed in this game again, not because they lost or because they were down so much, but quite opposite because they were down big time going into the, the late stages of the game and they still came back and made the Eagles sweat a little bit and got within basically one score of winning the game. If their defense makes a couple stops, Jared Goff has the chance to win that game for the Lions, even though it looked completely lost halfway through. Yet Dan Campbell is so good at rallying his team back to give their effort till the last, last second. Let's see here. Jalen Hurts, 18 for 32, 243, no touchdowns. He did have 17 carries for 90 yards and a touchdown, so very much a dual-threat quarterback in this game. I also, I think, I believe Hurts was also the leading rusher for the Eagles, but I could be wrong. I might have to look back on that. Jared Goff. 21 for 37, 215 yards, two touchdowns and a pick, two carries for nine yards. Jared Goff had a pretty pretty average game, I would say. It was pretty good, pretty average, though. Um, even, I know it's early in the season. I think throughout the season, I think Lions fans are, I think Lions fans have already 
figured it out. But I don't... I think everyone else is going to start to figure out that the Jared Goff is not your franchise quarterback. He's not. As much as I want to cheer for Jared Goff, he's just not, not the answer at quarterback. And I have a feeling the Lions... This last year was not the year to draft a quarterback, so I understand them keeping Goff. And his contract was pretty big, so I don't, you know, I didn't expect them to go out for any big-name quarterbacks. But I think this is the last year we see Jared Goff in a in a Lions jersey. I think he'll go somewhere else after the season is over. I don't know where, but I do think he'll go somewhere else, and I think will more than likely end up seeing a rookie quarterback under center next year. The, anyways, got an attention there about Jared Goff. Um, let's see here. Game notes. Eagles rushed for 216 yards. That's a lot. And the Lions defense was reluctant to stop the run, to say the least. Definitely an aspect of the defense they're going to have to work on. Let's see here. My notes are kind of everywhere. This is very new for me. I'm trying, trying to trying to organize all my thoughts here. Let's see. Um, oh, there were four, four separate Eagle players that scored a rushing touchdown in this game, which is the most on the Eagles since 1961. That's, that's pretty much pre, that's pre Super Bowl era. It's been a while. But I thought that was pretty cool. Um, AJ Brown had a massive, massive debut as an Eagle. Of course, if you don't know, he got traded from the Titans to the Eagles for, well, the Eagles got AJ Brown and the Titans were able to move up in the draft and they picked up what they believe is going to be AJ Brown's replacement in Traylon Burks. The rookie out of Arkansas. I can't I can't say that Traylon Burks really showed up for Tennessee this last week, but AJ Brown sure as hell showed up for the Eagles. I mean, he had ten receptions, 155 yards, and I don't remember if he had a touch. I think he might have had a touchdown, maybe not. This is he set a record for the most receiving yard, or I believe it's uh, yeah, most yards by a non-rookie debut player so that's pretty crazy and it's clearly he's clearly becoming Jalen Hurts go-to target it's definitely showing already it's definitely showing in my fantasy team because I had Devontae Smith in my lineup and he literally scored zero points zero fucking points but it's fine even if even if Devontae Smith scores like a thousand points, he wouldn't have saved it anyways because there was another player that really, really underperformed on my team, which we'll get to later. And I mean it, he couldn't really help it. Jeff Okuda was on Devontae Smith. You know, Jeff Okuda's super, super good player, super talented player. On the oh, and then on the Dol- on the Dolphins, oh my gosh. On the Lions side of the ball, DeAndre Swift 
is the first Lion with 100-plus rushing yards in the season opener since Barry Sanders did it in 96. 96. Lions players will reminisce. Lions players? Wow. Lions fans alike will reminisce about the 80s and 90s. Those were the prime years, at least in recent history, for the Detroit Lions. The fact that it took a running back on the line, the fact that it took a, someone to get 100 or more rushing yards in a season opener game in, what is that, four, 26 years? That's crazy. And I mean, for the past, like, it seems like decade, Detroit's been trying to find their answer to a, a running back. I mean, they had, they tried Amir Abdullah when he came out of uh, Nebraska, I believe. And they tried, um, what's that other, what was that other player? Dragon Blank again. But I think they really found their answer in DeAndre Swift. I really do. And I think he's just going to get, I think he's just going to get better throughout the year. I think he's going to quickly become a top 10, if not top five running back within the next year or two. He's just so easy to give the ball. He's so versatile. You can give him out. You can hand him the ball. You can throw him the ball. Whatever you want. And then, uh, game. The game pretty much ended with a conversion on fourth and one from Jalen Hurts, with about a minute left, and that was pretty much the end of the game. But a valiant, valiant effort from the Lions. To come back, I think they were down. Th- I want to say 13, 7, 14, 17 points. Because I believe it was like twenty-one to thirty-eight at one point. Oh, seven, yeah, seventeen points. It's like twenty-one to thirty-eight at one point, and I think it was like going into the late third, early fourth quarter, and Detroit scored. 14 unanswered points. I just couldn't get it done. But I think the Lions are a lot of fun to watch just because I'm such a fan of Dan Campbell. The Lions are a divisional rival of my favorite NFL team. But it's just so fun to see Dan Campbell head the rebuild of that team. And I'm really hoping the Lions front office like keeps him even if there's a subpar year in Detroit which there probably is going to be they need to keep that man because he's going to bring that team I think to really good places and I'm I know the Lions going to really good places you're thinking probably like what whatever that's such bullshit no 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 no. Dan Campbell's the man if you like I said before if you need a team that needs a rebuild he's your man 100% all right Enough of that game. Let's get to this game. Patriots at the Dolphins. My second favorite NFL team, at least my favorite AFC team, is the Dolphins. I'm a big Dolphins fan. I have been since I was a kid. No, it literally came from nothing more than just me being five years old and thinking, wow, those are really cool uniforms. And I've been a fan ever since. Well, obviously this year I'm really excited. The addition of Tyreek Hill, the addition of other superstars like... Uh, Melvin Ingram, 
and the upcoming stars like Javon Holland and um, Waddle. It's it's a very exciting year for Dolphins fans, and I'm a huge fan of Mike McDaniel. I think Mike McDaniel. I know. I think I think Miami was the last team in the offseason searching for a coach that didn't. Or I think they were the last team to hire for a coach in Mike McDaniel. And Mike McDaniel, I'm a huge fan of. He was, I believe, the offensive coordinator, running coordinator. I think he was yeah, offensive coordinator for the Niners a year ago. And no matter who the Niners had at running back, that team always found a way to get rushing yards. He's a master rushing game coordinator. He's just some I mean anyone that comes under or anyone that comes from under that coaching tree is a very smart coach it seems like and we see that with a lot of coaches like Matt LaFleur or even uh what's another one Robert Sala and Mike McDaniel's really no different so very optimistic with this year. The first game of the year against the the dark dark empire Patriots was exactly what I was hoping for for week one. Uh, starting with Mac Jones, twenty one for thirty, two hundred thirteen yards, one touchdown, one interception, two carries, zero yards. Mac Jones, Mac Jones made some questionable questionable throws. That, for, that interception he had, you could argue that there was holding on the play. But there was just a lot of weird, questionable decisions from Mac Jones. Including that one throw he had. I think it was third or fourth down. He threw to his, he threw to his tight end with like quadruple coverage. And there was a... I don't know which receiver it was, but there was a receiver on the right the far right side of the field at the top of the screen that was like right about to get open. It would have been an easy, I think he was running a curl and it would have been an easy first down, but instead Mac Jones tries to go for the kill shot down the middle and it gets rejected by the Dolphins defense. It was just decisions like that, that they were just kind of head scratchers. Like, why are you making that decision? Again, he is a second year quarterback I think people are going to expect too much out of Mac Jones this year. I think I think we're going to see Mac Jones hit a sophomore slump. He had a above average rookie season. And I think in Patriots country at least, I think you're expecting I think you're expecting Mac Jones to become the second Tom Brady because Bill Belichick handpicked him for the draft because Bill Belichick is also the general manager and I think people are expecting him to be the next Tom Brady and I don't think he's going to be I think Mac Jones has potential I think he could possibly make a lot of deep playoff runs but not seeing that yet and I don't think he's going to have the natural talent that Brady had at the same point in his career. But that's for another topic. Anyways, Tua Tagovailoa, 
23 for 33, 270 yards, and a touchdown. Also two carries with no yards. So pretty pretty even for a quarterback play. Obviously, Tua has, I would argue, way more weapons. Um, I think once the Tua-Tyree combo gets going, I think it's going to be a snowball effect from there. Um, but I think Tua, Tua had some pretty bad throws, but he was, I think unlike Mac Jones was doing, I think Tua wasn't thinking too hard about his throws. I don't think he was, no, I think, okay, I messed that up. Mac Jones was thinking too hard about his throws. No, wait. Jones wasn't really thinking about his throws. He was just kind of going for the kill shot every time. Tua was overthinking it. And there was a lot of there was a lot of you know passes that he could have probably hit otherwise that he didn't. There's a couple plays where Tyreek was wide open and he didn't get targeted. But that's to be expected. It's a it's a new combo. It's a you know just as I talked about with O-line chemistry, quarterbacks have to have that same chemistry with the receivers. So it's going to take a it's going to take time. But I think it's going to be really dangerous especially in the latter half of the season. Um Miami, let's see. Miami under the game notes. Miami had a 17 to 0 lead at halftime, which is the second largest deficit under the Belichick under Bill Belichick as a Patriot head coach. Which is pretty crazy, because I feel like for most coaches, 17 points is kind of like a, oh, that happens once a year, you know. Belichick is really good about keeping games close, even when he doesn't have a whole lot of start. Like, Bill Belichick will just go to any sort of Aldi and pick up anybody working at the cash register, and he'll make them into a starting football player, and he'll keep any game close. So to see Belichick... To see that 17 points is the second largest deficit for him is pretty crazy. Um, there's a lot of a lot of controversy though. Let's talk about this controversy. Kevin Bourne, I believe he was signed before last season. Um, it is first off he had a bad tra- bad training camp, bad uh, off season, bad preseason. Um, there's a lot of I wouldn't really call them rumors, but reports that he's been very outspoken about the new offensive schemes. He doesn't seem to like them. And, I mean, it showed in this game. He was barely on the field. He had, I believe he had one reception for 40 yards. So he had, a, he had like, the biggest play for New England, and... Right after he had that 40-yard reception, Belichick pulls him off the field. So there's some drama going on. He was the most explosive. He had the most explosive play of the game, and they still pulled him off the field. Meanwhile, all the other veteran receivers are barely making an impact in the game. And I don't know if that speaks about the receivers or if it speaks about Miami's defense. I don't know. Miami's defense is good, though. Um, got the lack of production from veteran New England receivers, we saw, talked about that. 
There was some O-line problems, especially that interior O-line. Mac Jones was feeling the defensive tackles pretty much all game long. Wilkinson was in there. Um, I believe it's Ogba. I could be wrong. But Mac Jones was under a lot of duress. And a combination of that with his receivers not being able to get open was a recipe for disaster. And, I mean, this this Tyreek-Waddle combo is going to be nuts. It's going to be pretty crazy. They combined, I believe they combined for about 160 of the 270 yards from Tua. They're... I don't know, man. The their reliability on top of their incredible speed is I don't I don't really know how defenses are gonna control that. I mean I feel like at this point, as long as you can make Tua really uncomfortable, you can have you can have a pretty good chance to win. But if Tua's comfortable in the pocket, if he's got protection and he's able to or even like scramble out of the pocket to make a play. The the offense is going to be hard to stop, even if they're not making, even if they're if even if Miami's not making huge chunk plays on offense, they're still making an impact, just because of. Just just because of how. Like versatile you can make that offense with those players. Anyways, Miami won twenty to seven. Pretty solid win. I had Miami winning, not because of biases. That's what that's who I would have picked, even if I wasn't a Dolphins fan. Next game, though, kind of a stinker, honestly. Ravens at the Jets. Baltimore won this game twenty-four to nine. Jackson had was seventeen for thirty, two hundred and thirteen yards, three passing touchdowns, and one interception. And he also had six carries for seventeen yards. Um, Joe Flacco. The former Raven, the team he won a Super Bowl with, 37 for 50, yeah, 50, 50, with a 5, 59 attempts, 307 yards, a touchdown, an interception, and a carry for 0 yards. So, I don't really have a whole lot on this game, there's not really much to speak about. It's, I think, what everyone else expected. In this game, Jets kind of looked like a mess. Flacco was throwing enough times during this game where he probably thought about getting insurance on his arm. Um, I don't know. Jackson? Jackson with the whole contract negotiation stuff, where he's negotiating his own contract. I think a lot of what he showed in this game... Because I believe the whole, the whole problem, the whole problem with the contract negotiations with him is that he believes he's not getting enough guaranteed money in these contracts. And these contracts have been rumored to be very, very large contracts. His problem is that it's mostly, it sounds like they're mostly incentive based and not guaranteed. And he wants them guaranteed. So, as him acting as his own agent, he played a really good game, and he showed that he doesn't have to run around the field and rush 
every time he's in trouble. And I think that's a, a big step in the right direction because a lot of controversy about Lamar Jackson is that he's strictly a runner and he's not a good traditional quarterback who can throw the ball. Well, he obviously showed that he is a good quarterback who can throw the ball. He threw three touchdowns even on just 17 receptions. And he barely had to run at all to win the game. Obviously, you're playing the Jets, so it's not like a huge problem. It's not like you have to be a superstar, really, to win against the Jets, let's be honest. But this whole season is Jackson trying to prove himself for that guaranteed money, and I think this was a good good first baby step for him this season. Um, besides talking about the Baltimore offense, the Baltimore defense had... 11 quarterback hits and three sacks. So Flacco was constantly under duress. Um, doesn't help that he threw 60 times. Obviously, you do 60 dropbacks. You're statistically probable to get hit a lot. Um, and he was. And the Jets also had only a 14% third down conversion rate, which is absolute garbage. I think they were like 1 for 14 or something. Or 2 for 14. I don't know, something crazy like that. That's pretty much all I had for that game. You know, Jackson's trying to prove himself. The Jets, we don't really know what the, you know. I really like Robert Sala as a head coach. I just think it's a it's a big task for anyone to go to the Jets to try to fix them. Unless you're Dan Campbell, obviously we love Dan. Next game. The, what I am dubbing, the, mm, how should we say... The Shit Stadium Bowl. I like that. I like that name. The the repair, the stadium repair bowl, maybe. The Jaguars at the Commies. The Communists. The Commanders, obviously. The battle of the two teams with the two worst stadiums in the league. First, you have Jacksonville, who has pretty bad stadium. Pretty bland. It's falling apart. And playing at Washington, who arguably has the worst stadium, basically just leaks sewage, everything's cracking. You know, name anything that could go wrong with a building, and the stadium has it, really. So Trevor Lawrence came into... Is this still FedEx Field? I don't know. If I was FedEx, I'd get my name off that stadium anyhow. Lawrence was 24 for 42, 275, one touchdown, one interception, two carries for four yards. Carson Wentz, 27 for 41, 313, four touchdowns, two picks, six carries for 12 yards. I don't have a lot of on this game either, except that Carson Wentz, we saw Carson Wentz go through like two arcs, basically. We went, we saw him go from, he was like doing pretty well in the beginning making some odd decisions, but still making still making uh, good plays at the same time. And then we saw him go into this downwards arc through two picks, was playing you know pretty poorly halfway through the game, hit this huge dip. And then at the end when it counted the most, bam. He shows up, leads his team to a win, 
threw two touchdowns on, I believe, two consecutive drives to end the game and, you know, won it for the communists. And, you know, if and if the communists need anybody to lead the way, it's someone with red hair. Red for communism, right? Uh, this is Wentz's first four-touchdown game since 2017, the year he helped the Eagles to a Super Bowl win, even though he didn't play in the playoffs. Um, the Actually, the game he tore his ACL in against the Rams, that was the last time he had four touchdowns in the game. So that's pretty special. And then first overall pick of this last draft, Trayvon Walker of the Jacksonville Jaguars. First, he's the first rookie with a, an interception and a sack in his debut game since TJ Watt had one or had a similar game in 2017. So obviously not much to speak on. Most of it's about Carson Wentz. Johan Dotson is kind of a crazy pickup. I didn't think he was going to be super impactful, but he's shown that he is. Ron Rivera, I think, loves to utilize him, kind of like a Debo Samuel. And, hey, no one wanted to pick him up on fantasy. And, he, you know, he's on my bench right now, but... He might not be for long. That's all I'm saying. And I think I think everyone else in my fantasy league is going to regret not picking him up. But that's pretty much it. Uh, commanders under their under their new rebranding get their first win under the first game as as the commies. Just hit the mic. That's my bad. Okay, next game: Browns at Panthers. The Baker Mayfield revenge game that wasn't. Cleveland ended up winning 26 to 24. Uh, Brissett, 18 for 34, 147 yards, a touchdown, four carries for 10 yards. Not a whole lot going on from Brissett, even just on paper. Baker Mayfield was 16 for 27, 235, a touchdown, a pick, five carries for six yards. Not exactly. Not exactly the type of showing that I think Baker wanted to have against his former team. You know, he obviously he wanted revenge. Obviously not what he ended up getting. But, and obviously they lost too, so that's not what he wanted. Um, but it wasn't necessarily a good game from either side of the ball. Both teams kind of played sloppy. Um... I don't, I don't really know what to think of either team. McCaffrey seems to be back in his normal dominant form, which is good to see. Um, I don't know. I just don't even know how to feel about Baker Mayfield. I didn't really like him coming out of college. And then that whole, like, was a Thursday night game against the Jets when, when he came in halfway through the game. To start playing, and he had he led the team to a win, like their first win in like over a season, basically. And I really started to like him, but um, oh, he's just super. He's just a very very inconsistent quarterback. But I don't know a lot of the a lot of the stuff against him coming out of college, with him being so short. And just his build and how he's not really able to see over his line. 
I think some of that showed in this game. I think it shows in every, every game. But that interception he had kind of showed that, like, he's not able to project the ball where it's supposed to be because he really can't see that well where the line is. And he's not necessarily short. He's six foot tall, I think. But, like, most of, your, most of his linemen are 6'4", 6'5", 6'6", you know. It's a big difference, especially when you put a helmet on top of that. So, I don't know. But um, the biggest story of this game is the controversial spike by Jacoby Brissett. Basically, the Browns were going down the field. They had a chance to win the game. And Brissett kind of... What do you want to say? He, like... It looks like he snapped the ball and didn't... He was contemplating about running or throwing the ball and decided not to at the last second. And under NFL rule, that is... You can't do that. Um, if you when you snap the ball for a spike, you have to spike it. You cannot. You cannot wait, or you know, look like you're gonna throw the ball, which he did. And officials after the game said that they missed that call and it should have been called on the field. But I mean, you can't change it unless you have a time machine, right? Um, under the rule book, it's supposed to be a ten yard penalty. And a 10-second runoff, which the runoff would obviously impacted things. They did have enough time where they could afford that. The 10-yard penalty, though, would have been the, I guess, the, the stake through the chest. Because the Browns get that 10-yard penalty, and they're looking at a 68-yard field goal. It's just not going to happen. So... Browns get away with that one. Both teams were pretty sloppy, I would say. I think the highlight of the whole game was seeing McCaffrey back in good form. Oh, this is interesting. This is the first Browns week one victory since 2004. I was four years old. I was four years old the last time the Browns won a week one game. And I, I was... It's so crazy. I thought they would have at least won at least one in the, in, you know, in the past 18 years, but I guess not. I guess that was too wishful thinking. All right, next game, which was kind of also a snoozer, Colts versus Texans. Matt Ryan, new Colt quarterback, 32 for 50, 352, one touchdown, one pick, four carries for 12 yards. Statistically, a really good game. Matt Ryan had a really good game. Statistically, he did. On the scoreboard, it didn't really reflect because wasn't really getting, wasn't really turning that large amount of yards into a score. Uh, Davis Mills, David Mills, David, Davis Mills, whatever. Twenty-three for thirty-seven, two hundred forty yards, two touchdowns. I mean, Mills is kind of just a surprise. I think he was like a what, third, fourth-round pick quarterback. No one really expected him to do anything. He obviously had to start last year because of the Deshaun Watson controversy. And he surprised a lot of people last year, and I think he's going to do the same this season too. I mean, he played like a solid starting quarterback in this game. 
he couldn't finish the job, obviously, but I think there's a lot of upside for Davis Mills, David Mills, whatever his name is, whatever his first name is. And I don't know. I think the Texans are not going to be as bad as people are expecting them to be this year. I don't think they're going to be great. I think they'll probably be like a six-win team. Um, but I think they had a f- pretty good first week, I would say. And the new the rookie running back, Pierce, looks pretty good. Like, Well, he didn't look too great in this game, but I think he'll be really good. Um, Texans kind of pulled a, uh, a Falcon play out of the, out of the Falcons playbook. Uh, Texans were up 20 to three when the fourth quarter started 17 point lead. And, uh, Matt Ryan and Jonathan Taylor led the Colts back. I guess so did that defense. The defense stepped up too in the fourth quarter. Uh, Matt Ryan, Scored his 74th 300-plus passing yard game in his career, which would make him fourth in history, which is pretty cool. And he's also the second-fastest quarterback in NFL history to reach 60,000 passing yards. So it's a very historic day for Matt Ryan. It's too bad he couldn't get the win on it, but it's uh, not much you can do. And I think... I just don't know what to think about either team, especially after this game. I don't, I was expect you know, I'm expecting the Colts to be a wild card team. If not win the division, depending on what the Titans decide to do. And, you know, for the Texans, I think they're still in a rebuild mode, but they have this like, the Texans are so strange because they have this plethora of players that used to be prominent starters on other teams that are like now on the Texans as like second and third string guys. It's kind of nuts. Like teams have starters that fall off and they just go to Houston. That's kind of like the game system right now. It's kind of like in Madden. If you start a, I'm getting a spam call from Texas. They heard me talking about the Texans. Um, let's decline that. But it's fair, It's kind of like in Madden when you start an expansion team and you just get all the players other teams don't want. It's kind of like that. But, I mean, they use it in their favor. O.J. Howard had two t- passing touch or two receiving touchdowns. And, I don't know, I think, I think the team has potential. There's a lot to build on there. Lovey Smith, I, I know, is a very uh, capable coach. It was a questionable hire. In the offseason, I'll give him that. But, I mean, he's proved himself as a head coach before, so I'm not too worried about the Texans. Next game, Giants at Titans. Man, was this a... Just a roller coaster of emotions, I think. I had Tennessee winning this game. Obviously, didn't happen. But, let's see. Daniel Jones, 17 for 21, 188 yards. Two touchdowns and a pick. Six carries for 25 yards. He had a 115.9 QBR. Very good showing by Daniel Jones. He didn't really have to do a whole lot in terms of passing because Saquon Barkley is looking to be back in his form just as Christian McCaffrey was. But, you know, the I've, I've kind of 
been on the decline for the Daniel Jones trust. Like, I don't, I don't really know how far the Giants are ever going to get with him. But, I mean, in this game alone, he showed that despite not having to do a whole lot, he was still pretty reliable. And you have to give him credit where credit's due. Ryan Tannehill was 20 for 33, 266, two touchdowns, two carries for seven yards, a QBR of 106.4. Um, Tannehill also had a pretty good game. The quarterbacks were almost mistake-free, I would say, for the most part. So it really just, you know, it came it came down to the rest of the rest of the teams, you know. Saquon Barkley between his rushing and passing and his catching was averaging nine yards a play. Nine yards a play. That's a lot. He Saquon Barkley was my favorite player of the 2018 draft coming out of college. I watched him play a lot at Penn State. And to see him have to go through all the injuries and adversity really sucked because he has so much potential. He's such a fun running back to watch. But to see him back in his, you know, 100% form and watch him play like that, it was it was really nice to see, I think. And just as Ezekiel Elliott has the same thing going on, there's a lot of talk about Saquon getting traded after the season or even just released. And I think this game is a good step in the right direction for him. I think he's showing that he deserves that big contract despite the adversity. Um, let's see here. Taylor Lewan had there was a scare there with Taylor Lewan. Um, he came back in the game though. He he went off for an injury. Um, Kayvon Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari, both Giants starting defenders. Um, obviously Thibodeau being the high draft pick from this last year, they were both scratch as out before the game started. So. A, a cool what if is if those two players start for the Giants defense, does the game sway more for New York? And does that, how much would that influence the Tennessee offense? Would, like, would the game be more out of hand for Tennessee? Would Tennessee have more mistakes? I don't know. But it's just, it, it was a pretty much a game time decision. And. I mean, I don't know. The Giants, like, good for them. They, I really like their new head coach. They really had some gutsy calls, especially to get that two points. Um, was not expecting that. They just went straight for the win. They said, we're not going to go in overtime. We're applying for the win. They went for two, and they got it. And can't really do anything else except for respect that kind of call. Obviously, if they didn't get the two points, this would be a whole different attitude. Um, but they did. They ended up getting it. And then Tennessee did have a chance to win, but Bullock missed the game-winning field goal um, at the end of the game. 47 yards just absolutely shanked it. So Giants start 1-0, which we did not see coming. And Tennessee, last year's AFC number one seed, has to regroup. So I have a lot of faith in them. Mike Vrabel is a very smart head coach. 
I don't think there's much to worry about. I think they'll be fine. I think the Giants are going to be fun to watch this year, though. Even if they're not a playoff team, I think they could definitely, at least if they're not making the playoffs at the end of the year, they could definitely play spoiler. Um, next game. Um, the only two emotions I can use to describe this game as a Packer fan, as I was born and raised Packer fan, the only thing I can say about this game is how how repetitive and how disappointed. I, it, I guess repetitive isn't an emotion, but it felt the feeling I got watching this game, it felt so traditional of Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers to just come out week one and look like absolute dog shit. And like, I'm not even gonna, I'm not even gonna put it on the Devontae Adams part departure because it wasn't even that. There's a lot of problems with this game. First off, Aaron Jones barely got the ball. Um, Rogers was basically just throwing to his, running backs and his tight ends even even though there's a there's there's a lot of I won't say a lot but there's there's some evidence that there was routes developing by the wideouts that would have been positive plays that Rodgers just never took and I think after the first play of the game where Watson drops the ball which probably would have been a touchdown I think after that, Rodgers kind of gave up trusting his receivers, which is really sad. But I think he did, and I think he gave up too fast. And, you know, Green Bay is supposed to have this top 10 defense this year, and they didn't really show that they did. Especially in coverage, they allowed Justin Jefferson to have like 184 yards or something. But anyways, Rodgers was... 22 for 34, 195, one pick. Cousins, 23 for 32, 277, two touchdowns. A 119 rating. So, obviously, Cousins far outperformed Rodgers. Um, oh, I have this written down. Jefferson had 184 yards, two touchdowns. And it's the Vikings' largest margin of victory in the Rodgers-Packers era. Um... Jefferson set a franchise record, 158 receiving yards in the first half. And then, obviously, the Watson dropped pass on the first snap. I mean, that was a great route he ran. Like, pretty much put Patrick Peterson on ice skates. But, man, I... Rodgers... Rodgers pissed me off, to say it. To say it bluntly. He pissed me off. Not because, not because he wasn't playing very well, but he was like, he was pulling this like Jay Cutler thing where he played like shit and then pouted about it and was like getting angry at everybody else except for him. And like, obviously growing up as a Packer fan, saw plenty of Jay Cutler, saw him do that so much. I mean, look at the NFC Championship game in 2010 when the Packers went to the Super Bowl. Jay Cutler was playing pretty poorly and like somewhere in the second was it third quarter. He just basically said, fuck it. And he was riding a Peloton basically the whole time and talked about how he 
was like injured in his legs and like couldn't like had a hard time walking and stuff and then a week later people saw him like out and about looking fine but that's besides the point rogers reminded me so much of kirk kirk cousins oh my god i wish um rogers reminded me so much of jay cutler in this game it wasn't even funny rogers constantly just bailing on plays you know just something tells as much as i hate when people and the media try to make this tension between matt lafleur and aaron Rodgers. I can't help but think that Rodgers is trying to manufacture the offense in his own style and forgetting about Matt's style. Because that's what it feels like sometimes. It feels like Matt's trying to run the offense a certain way and Aaron says no. And it's it's dumb because I, f- I feel like if Rodgers runs the offense like it's built to run, it's efficient. And Rodgers is trying to play like he did in the McCarthy era, and it's not working. And then he'll sit in the pocket for too long, dance around, not get rid of the ball. Like, he won't, he won't even try to take it. I mean, you're like one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. You can take a couple chances and throw it into tight coverage or something. You know, you don't have to have someone super wide open to throw it to them or just check it down. Just throw it out of bounds. Obviously, the game planning wasn't super great by Matt LaFleur because there should have been more running plays. Aaron Jones should have had the ball in his hands a lot more. There should have been more imagination with this offensive playbook or offensive game plan. But when Rodgers is twiddling his thumbs in the pocket and can't make a play, and then he just absolutely shits the bed on the play, and... He starts yelling at everyone else, and it's just really frustrating because it's like this was your, you know, the play's your fault. And also, if you want us to go get real, if you want us to go get a real wide receiver one and go get some big talent, take a pay cut. Like, I know you deserve to get paid because you're a really good quarterback, but you can't have your cake and eat it too. You can't be getting paid a shit ton of money, get this huge extension, and then be upset when you don't have enough talent on the offensive side of the ball to move the ball down the field. You can't, you know. I mean, that's why Patrick Mahomes got such a big deal is because maybe now they might be suffering in the salary cap, but, like, his contract's technically going to get cheaper over those 10 years. And, like, it's going to allow the Chiefs front office to put talent around him so they have a one, like a generational quarterback and they have plenty of talent around him for him to utilize and the offense stays potent with Rodgers though you can't do it i don't think Roger Rodgers doesn't really strike me as a full-blown leader he never really has he he likes to point fingers he likes to pout he likes to yell and then after the game, he's sarcastic and passive and talking about, oh, well, we scored four more points than we did last year. Shut up, dude. Just shut up. Honestly, Jordan Love came out in garbage time and looked so much better than you did. So just shut up. 
Aaron. No one cares. This is a rant. It's now turned into a rant. Just, if you fuck up the play, don't point fingers and yell at other players or coaches. Because you look like an asshole. And, like, honestly, if you want to keep playing like shit and keep blaming on other people and making yourself look like a diva and this and that, then I hope at the end of the year you're gone. Because, like, I'd rather have Jordan Love get his extension and play and develop than see you complain and yell at other people. Because it's just kind of annoying. But anyways, that's my rant. Let's go into the next game. (laughs) Okay. Chiefs at Cardinals. Chiefs absolutely destroyed the Cardinals for some godforsaken reason. I picked the Cardinals to win this game. I felt optimism. There was a lot of talks before week one that the Chiefs were just not going to be as as good of an offense as they were last year with the departure of Tyreek Hill. Well, that wasn't true whatsoever. Mahomes was 30 for 39, 360 yards, five passing touchdowns, a quarterback rating of 144.2. While Kyler Murray had was 22 for 34, 193 yards, two touchdowns, a QBR of 99.3. Mahomes absolutely tore up that Arizona defense. I never saw it coming. And I I thought the Tyreek departure and having new like having new weapons that were super unfamiliar to him. I thought it was going to make a difference, but it it really didn't. And it sh- I think that I think that shows the the uh the sheer talent that Patrick Mahomes possesses. And it's just kind of interesting because going back on this Aaron Rodgers thing for Mahomes to be able to throw up five touchdowns with one of Rodgers' former receivers playing out there and Rodgers can't do shit in Minnesota, I think it speaks volumes. It really does. Um, let's see what we got here. Kelsey had his 30th 100-plus yard game of his career. Um, Justin Reed, safety for the Chiefs, got to be the backup kicker after Butker had an injury in his thigh, I believe. And Mahomes, Patrick Mahomes actually made some history. He's the second quarterback to throw three touchdowns in the first three drives of his season since 1991. And... Another Rodgers comparison. Rodgers was the last quarterback to do it in 2011 when he played the Saints on Sunday Night Football. So not not really a whole lot to speak of here. Um, Kyler Murray just got this extension and didn't really play up to it, I guess. The lack of DeAndre Hopkins and Rondale Moore obviously played a, a part in it. They didn't really utilize James Conner that ho- a, whole much, a whole lot. Um, and Mahomes was tearing up their defense like they were a peewee football league. So, I mean, nothing really else to go on on that. Uh, next game, Raiders at Chargers. Chargers take the game 24-19. Derek Carr was 22-37, for 295 yards, two touchdowns, three picks for a 69.1 rating. 
and Herbert was 26 for 34, 279, three touchdowns for a 129-4 rating. Um, Herbert is, you know, a highlight machine. He had some crazy passes. That one touchdown pass to Carter was nuts. That thing looked like it was on a string. Like, he just, like, threw it in there. Um, Chargers defense came up huge. New additions, new returns. Derwin James is back healthy. Khalil Mack is on the team now. Um, Asante Samuel Jr. is a big piece. And they had six six sacks on Derek Carr and three picks. Crazy. Khalil Mack had three of those sacks. Khalil Mack single-handedly had half the sacks of the whole Chargers defense. Obviously, there's probably a chip on his shoulder. The Raiders are the team that drafted him and ended up training him to Chicago. So there's obviously probably some history he wanted to get out there. I'm sure once he, uh, I'm sure once they play in Vegas this year for that game, I'm sure there'll be a lot of drama going on with Khalil Mack and the Raiders. Um, three different players on the Chargers defense had the three interceptions, and that's the first time the Chargers have done that since 1966. And then uh, Devonta Adams, the new Raiders wide receiver, won. Obviously, there's a lot of comparisons between him and the Packers wideouts, and he ended up having more reception yards than the Packers wideouts combined. So that's that's pretty sad, but good for Devonta. I mean, he's. I mean, just after this first, if I was to make a quick assumption, after this first week, I would say that Adams made Rodgers, not the other way around. But that's enough of that game. Got that game out of the way. Oh, one thing I want to talk about about the Chargers game is I had Mike Williams as a starting receiver for this game. And he basically... Basically didn't really show up to this game. And then the... Tampa Bay Bucks at the Cowboys Sunday Night Football. Dak Prescott got hurt. And um, sorry for that break. I had to check on something there. Um, Tom Brady, 18 for 27. 212. A touchdown and a pick. Prescott had was 14 for 29. 134 yards and an interception. Two carries for 11 yards. Um, Prescott suffered an injury during this game, a fracture near his throwing hand thumb, and he's slated to miss several weeks. So not the, not the news Cowboys wanted. They weren't really looking super great anyways. There's a lot of question marks about the receiver room. Will, is there any depth behind CD lamb? Um, and I guess Schultz is a pretty good tight end, too. Besides that, there's not really a whole lot. Cedric Wilson's gone. Um, I don't know if Michael Gallup is still with the team. He might be. I didn't really watch this game. Two teams that I really don't care about. I just kind of researched the game, if I'm being 100% honest. All the other games I kind of watched, at least like chunks of it. This game I didn't even really care that much about. Um, so yeah, Prescott injury, 
pretty big deal. Um, Chris Godwin left with a hamstring injury. He was having a nagging injury prior to this game, but it looks like it got worse because <laughs> uh, he left the game. So he's hurt. Prescott's hurt. Two big names hurt in this game. Um, Tampa Bay's defense looked great as usual under Bowles. Todd Todd Bowles. Bowles. Todd Bowles. Not Todd Bowles. It's not Bowles. Bowles. Todd Bowles. Um, Tampa Bay had four sacks on Dallas. That's pretty much all I have for that game. Not a whole lot interesting. And then last game. Broncos versus the Seahawks. Seattle ended up winning this game 17-16. to More of a revenge game for Seattle rather than Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson obviously getting traded to Denver for Drew Locke and Noah Fant in the offseason. Uh, Russell Wilson goes to Denver with his new head coach, Nathaniel Hackett. And Seattle doesn't really use Drew Locke. They use Geno Smith instead, but... Uh, Russell Wilson had to go back to his old home to play his former team. And Wilson went 29 for 42, 340, and a touchdown for a rating of 101.3. And Geno Smith, 23 for 28, 195, two touchdowns, six carries for 14 yards, a 119.5 rating. Geno Smith, somehow, someway, besides, I guess, throwing yards, outperformed. Russell Wilson in this game. Something I thought I'd never say in my life. Denver had... Well, Denver probably would have won this game, realistically. They had two fumbles that they lost at the one-yard line. Two fumbles. Which is pretty crazy. That's two potential touchdowns. This game would have been much in Denver's favor. I think Denver... Denver still definitely has the better team than Seattle. But this game is all about making opportunities, and Seattle definitely made more opportunities than Denver did. Seattle took advantage of those opportunities. They kept, I mean, they did what was important. They kept Russell Wilson and the Broncos out of the end zone. Um, Jamal Adams, Jamal Adams had a serious injury. Um, he was, he was walked off the field and then carted to the locker room. Looks like it's a serious injury. I think it's in his leg. Um, it probably is an extensive injury that's going to take a few weeks. And then Seattle, or sorry, not Seattle, Denver, as almost seems like every other team in the league this last week, had a chance to win the game on a field goal, and McManus missed it. Granted, it was 64 yards, so it was a low percentage kick. It would have been the second longest made field goal in history. Um, or tied with the second, something like that. But um, Denver loses their first game under the Wilson era, and Wilson does not get to win his first game back in Seattle. So that's the recap for week one. A lot of craziness. I'm pissed off at Aaron Rodgers. Aaron can go fuck himself. I know it's vulgar, but... You know, it is what it is. Hopefully it's better this week, but I mean I don't I don't really see the season being as predictable as I might have thought it would. 
I thought the season was going to be kind of a little bit similar to last year, but it's not really looking like that. So, quickly. So quickly, I'm going to do my week two picks here live for this week. So today's Thursday. So the first game we have is the Chargers at the Chiefs for Thursday Night Football. And I think I'm going to go with the Chiefs just because Mahomes is pretty much outplaying everyone in the league right now, even after week, even though it's just week one. I'm getting, obviously getting ahead of myself, but he's definitely outperforming everybody in the league right now. I don't really see that stopping. Um, he's definitely playing a better defense, so I'm sure it won't be as drastic. But... I still think the Chiefs take it, and they're playing at home. So We have the Jets at the Browns. I picked the Browns just because the Jets kind of look real messy, and they're still going to have Joe Flacco. They're not having Wilson, so it's probably going to be a loss. But the Browns, you know, as sloppy as they played week one, I still think they're better than the Jets. They get to play at home this time. I think Brissett has a better game. I think Nick Chubb's going to have a monster game. Um, so I th- I'm going to pick the Browns for this one. Um, the Washington Communists versus the Detroit Lions. Um, from what I've seen, at least on ESPN's Pick'em, it's like a 50-50 pick on this game. Um, I picked Detroit. I think Detroit's going to make the upset. They play at home. Um I don't think Washington is as good as Philly and Detroit even showed that they can almost beat Philly and Philly's probably going to win the NFC East if I'm being honest, but all in all, I think the Lions end up pulling this win out. I don't think it'll, I think it'll be less than by one score, but I'm going to pick Detroit next game is Tampa Bay at new Orleans. Now ESPN says 80, 80% 80% of people picked Tampa Bay. I picked New Orleans. New Orleans plays at home. I New Orleans just has Tom Brady's number. I don't know what else to say about it. They have Tom Brady's number and I think it's going to continue. I don't think Tom, I don't think Tom Brady's nearly at the same level he was last season, so I think it's going to be a Saints Saints victory. Next game is Panthers at the Giants. This is pretty much 50-52. Um, I picked the Giants. I think they're going to use the momentum they gained from their win over Tennessee. Panthers, I don't think, are as good. I think I think the Giants are going to have some trouble with Christian McCaffrey, but I don't think it's anything to, to worry about. So I think I have the Giants winning this game. Um, New England at Pittsburgh. I have Pittsburgh winning this game. Mac Jones is questionable, and he's not playing. doesn't really look like he's playing super well. He looks like he's in a sophomore slump. And the Steelers surprised me. They actually look like a pretty well-rounded team. And as long as Trubisky is playing decent, I think the team is more than capable of defeating New England. Uh, Next one, we got the Colts at Jacksonville. 90% of people look like they picked the Colts. Um, Okay, Colts had a bad game against the Texans. We can admit that. But the Colts are much, much better than Jacksonville, I think. And I don't – Jacksonville may surprise me on this one, but I don't I don't think so. I think the Colts will win this game. 
Um, Miami at Baltimore. A little bit biased here. I picked Miami. I don't think Miami handled this team last year. The team's not too much different, at least from the offensive side. Um, and they might, they st- I don't know, they might not have J.K. Dobbins. He might still be out. But I still think the Dolphins win. I don't think it's super, I think it's going to be like a four-point game probably. Or it's going to be like a, honestly, thinking about it now, I might pick Baltimore just because I feel like it's going to be a close game. And then Justin Tucker's going to nail a 90-yard field goal. So we'll see about that. Um, next one, Falcons at the Rams, 97% picked the Rams. I picked the Rams too. The Falcons are just not there yet. I think the Rams are going to, I mean, Sean McVay, I think the Rams are going to turn it around. Rams get to play at home. They're playing an inexperienced team. I think the Rams take it a pretty easy pick. Um, Seattle at the Niners. I picked the Niners. It looks like three out of four people picked the Niners. Um, I think Trey Lance has a really good game. I don't. I still don't think Seattle's. Seattle's Seattle showed something against Denver, but I don't think I don't think it's gonna be super consistent throughout the season. Cincinnati at Dallas. I pick. I'm gonna pick Cincinnati, because Prescott being gone, and I think I think the Bengals defense will definitely hold Dallas in check. I don't think this is gonna be too much of a question um, for this game. Houston at Broncos. Broncos are almost favored to win completely. Um, it's in Denver. I think all in all, Denver outweighs the Texans on every side of the ball. So Denver for that one. Arizona at the Arizona at Las Vegas. Couldn't speak there for a second. Um, I'm gonna pick Vegas here. I only I pick Vegas because the Cardinals look like they're in a big slump. And I honestly, I can see Carr having a pretty big game. Devontae Adams will probably have a pretty big game. Probably even better than last week. So I'm going to pick the Raiders. Chicago at Green Bay. I picked Green Bay. Um, this feels this feels a lot like last year, right? Last year, the Packers played Jack- in Jacksonville against the Saints. Get blown out of the water. Next week they play Monday night against the Lions, and the Packers show that they come back into form. I think the same thing happens here. They get blown out week one against Minnesota. They're going to come back to Lambeau, play prime time against Chicago, and Aaron always has Chicago's number. I think it's the Packers. And then the last two games, Tennessee at the Bills. I have the Bills winning. I don't know what to think about Tennessee. It's just kind of a big question mark. We don't know what they're going to do. But the Bills are so good. They're so good. I don't I don't see this going. I think Josh Allen's gonna light the defense up. Plain and simple. So I picked the, I'm gonna pick the Bills for this one. And then Minnesota at Philadelphia. Minnesota looked really good. Philadelphia looked really good for most of the game. It's a 60-40 for Minnesota, but I I'm gonna I think I'm gonna go with Philly. Philly plays at home. I think I think AJ Brown's gonna have a big game. I don't think de- I don't think Minnesota's defense is gonna be able to keep up with the Eagles, and I think the Eagles are gonna have a much better game plan than Green Bay did for last week. So those are my picks for this week. Um, 
I pretty much broke even last week, so we're going to see how this one goes. But, but I'm pretty confident. I'm pretty confident. But anyways, that's the week one wrap-up for the NFL. And, I don't know, it was a weird week. It was full of surprises, full of disappointment, full of me being super angry at my fantasy football team. And I'm sure this week we'll have just as much the same. I'm sure I'll probably not do too well in fantasy. And, you know, that's pretty much it. But I guess to wrap it all up, Aaron Rodgers is the next Jay Cutler. And the Titans are going to tank. Anyways... This 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 was the first episode of Lysology, the new study on football. First episode of the podcast. I had a lot of fun doing this. I had a lot of fun writing the notes down. I was obviously pretty nervous. This is my first time ever doing something like this. But I had a lot of fun. And hopefully next, I'm thinking of doing the episodes on Wednesdays, not Thursdays. So hopefully by next Wednesday, um, I'll be doing a recap on week two. Hopefully I'll be able to figure out some more stuff, not have so many difficulties, be able to make this a little more interesting. But yes, that was the week one recap, and we'll come back for week two on next Wednesday.